Did you know that 40% of billionaires have dyslexia? What if I told you that 50% of people who are incarcerated are also dyslexic? Well, today on the Yes Theory podcast, we are discussing the topic of learning disabilities. With Amar and I both having our own forms of learning disabilities, mine being dyslexia, we wanted to explore the subject to help us gain a better understanding of the implications involved with having these perceived disadvantages. From diving deep into our childhood to discussing the moments where we realized we were, quote, different, we'll bring you along on our journey of self-discovery. In this episode, we also bring our good friend Cliff Weitzman. I got tested and indeed, I have dyslexia, and it was the best day of my life because for the first time, I had somewhere to hang my hat. Cliff is originally from Israel and moved to the U.S. just before high school. He's the founder of the speech-to-text software Speechify. He has been named on the Forbes magazine 30 under 30 list and is also a champion advocate for dyslexia. Having grappled with his own learning disabilities since childhood, Cliff shares some of his perceptions on what it means to have learning disabilities and how he has conquered these perceived negatives, turning them into the basis of his professional career. So why are we deciding to talk about this today? Maybe we can start because all of us have struggled with some form of learning disability in different ways. So for you, you knew that you had some form of ADHD, but you didn't know that you had dyslexia. Yeah. I found out I was dyslexic when I was nine years old. I also have ADD, but my dyslexia is so pronounced that the ADD pales in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how, how was that finding out? Like, do you remember? Because you oh, said nine years very old. very vividly. So... When I was a kid, I was the most precocious kid in school. I, and I was very ambitious. I wanted to be a billionaire. I wanted to be prime minister. I wanted to make a significant scientific contribution. I wanted to be a pop star. And I was the star of all the, like, the shows in, in school. And then first grade came along, and I couldn't learn how to read. And then second grade came along, and I still couldn't learn how to read. And I couldn't even figure out how to spell my last name. And I got really good at faking. So I would fake read. Everywhere I'd go, I'd have a book under my arm. It's just like... No one realized, and then my dad realized when I was nine, and he canceled my ninth birthday party because I was lying to my parents that I was reading and I actually wasn't. And my mom is really good at research, and she read like 100 books on the topic, and she figured out, oh, maybe this is what he has. And I got tested, and indeed, I have dyslexia. And it was the best day of my life, because for the first time, I had somewhere to hang my hat. And before that, my parents thought that I was lazy, and my teachers thought that I was slow. And I thought that I was awesome, I just needed to prove it to people. And now I was like, you see, I'm not lazy and I'm not slow. I just learn differently. Maybe we can describe how it feels to be dyslexic. Cause yes. some people maybe don't even understand or can fully relate. Yeah. So for context on dyslexia, 17, 17% of the population has it. 5% in the, new, in the US public system are diagnosed. It's very hard to diagnose. Physiologically, the way the dyslexia works is sometimes it's described as there's the left side and the right side of the brain. Most people, the connection between them is a straight shot. If you have dyslexia, it's this windy road. The other way scientifically to describe it is there's these things called mini columns in the brain that are responsible for sharing information. Most people have a normal distribution of mini columns and their average length. If you're dyslexic, those mini columns are further apart and they're 
longer. So you're really good at, at pattern recognition and at creativity and big picture thinking. You're less good at kind of minute operations. So what are the things that you end up with? You're bad at spelling, what's called phonemic awareness. You're bad at decoding when you're reading. Often you forget names, you mix up your left and rights. It's actually like a series of stuff like this, but the biggest impact on people usually is either that their spelling is really bad or they're really bad at math when it comes to like following small numbers or they're really slow at reading. And it's not just being slow at reading. Reading takes a lot of energy for me. So one sentence takes me as much energy and brain power as most people take to do a long division equation in their head. So after reading a paragraph, I'm exhausted. Um, and so every day the librarian would wake me up in the library and I just brute forced my way through it. And then when I was 13, I moved to the US. And I was like, great. I just learned how to read in Hebrew. Now I need to learn how to read in a whole new language. And I need to learn how to spell in a whole new language. And I moved in eighth grade. And I had a really amazing history teacher called Mr. Bloom. And I went to Mr. Bloom, who was considered the hardest teacher because he treated you like high school students. And I was like, Mr. Bloom, listen, there's no way I'm going to write an outline of this chapter every night. Number one, I can't even type on a computer in English. Would it be okay with you if I came to school 15 minutes early every day and I would verbally summarize the chapter to you just while I'm learning how to like, write and read? And he was like, okay, that sounds fair. And I started the semester having the lowest grade of, in all my classes. And then by the end of the year, I was one of the best performing students. And how old are you at that point? 13. Where does that agency come from? Oh, I don't know. So it's, there's nature versus nurture, right? I was like born super confident. And I daydream all the time. I read fantasy books like crazy. And I always imagine that I am the main character in the fantasy book. And I live my life as if I am that main character, the hero to my own life. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you actually analyze how good books are written, that is the main thing that you'll see is main characters have crazy agency. They're always doing stuff. They're never just like lying around. So I always do stuff. Um, and I really wanted to do well in school. And I knew that this normal way would not work for me. So the only option was to go to the teacher and ask for something unusual. And once you do that enough, you get good at it. That's an amazing quality to be born with. Because I think for me, it affected me in a different way where it actually led me to be a lot less confident in myself. Like the French school system is very much, like if you don't know how to spell, like that's the most important thing. And they are so strict on that. My teachers would say like, yeah, he's, he's creative, but everything else not really working, you know? And so I think I kept getting, trying to get better at grades and I wasn't able to compute. Like it just no matter the effort, like I, I was just struggling and I understood that I had some kind of learning disability, obviously, but I didn't fully comprehend how it was affecting me. Like I confused my P's and my Q's, yes. my, like I couldn't spell my name also, you know? So like it, it's, it's kind of sweet. I found an old box of uh, like books and things from when I was like six, seven. And I literally like, there's letters missing in my name. Yes. Like it's, it's crazy. You look at this and if you're a teacher, you know, or even a parent, you're like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's crazy. Cause there's, you know, I was very fortunate to have my mom who was very dedicated to helping me work through this. And I got, I don't know exactly what it's called. Like it, it was like, um, usually it's a uh, speech language. Yeah. I think, I think, pathologist, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I was doing that once a week, but I was hiding it from all my friends. Like I didn't want anyone to know. It was like, Literally, I would get off a couple stops early from the bus and I would lie to my friends to say like, oh, I wow. have soccer practice or something. You know, I would just make, make stuff up because I was so embarrassed. Like I didn't want to be the person that 
was the only one that I knew that had this issue. Wow. Yeah, so I wish I would have had the confidence to understand that this doesn't make me dumber than my friends. It's just that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling in a different way. But there wasn't any way to actually experience that because the way that like your grades are... You're told this is what means you're smart. Yeah. And I, I just didn't know another way to prove it. But I was looking around and I'm like, I'm not dumber than my friends. Like, I think I get it, but I just, I'm not able to show it in a way. And it took me all the way to end of high school to just like you, you just find different ways of studying. And one of the ways that I found was I would ask the teacher for what's the best paper like you've ever seen? Like, or do you have any copies of students? And if they didn't, I would just go to the best student and ask her mm. for her paper. And then I would write it 10 times. Wow to feel what it would be like to write like the perfect paper. Oh. And I would try to look at like, what are the words that she's using that I know oh. that aren't in my language. And then I would write all those words on a separate piece of paper. And I would write those words so smart. 50 times a night. And then it just became like, my hand just started moving that way. And you know, you mentioned that some of your weaknesses can be your power. And I think in a lot of ways, dyslexia forces you to get creative with exactly. how you learn and not just take the way that it's given to you. And then those things can be applied to so many different things because now your approach to learning is how can I do this rather than, uh, you know, what is the one prescribed way to do this? You know, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but you told this to me and I had no idea that a very large percentage of billionaires or millionaires are dyslexic. What's the percentage? Yeah, so 17% have it. 5% are diagnosed. 50% of people who are incarcerated have dyslexia. 30% of entrepreneurs have dyslexia and 40% of billionaires. And it's the type of thing when you're nine years old and you fail at the one thing that you're supposed to be good at, you have two options. One is you go down a very dark path and you say, you know, screw school. This is not for me. You go do whatever. The second path is you realize that failure is okay. Mm. And when you realize failure is okay, you realize that the only way to do it is just brute force hard work. And that happened to you. It took you 10 years of skipping the bus and telling your friends you're going to soccer practice and in the dark kind of like copying the best students papers mm. but by the end of high school you figured it out mm. and surprise you had a bigger challenge later which was yes theory mm. but you had already built that resilience and so it's actually a huge privilege when you're nine years old to go and have life be run on hard mode mm. and most people don't have the opportunity to do that and they grow up without building that muscle but if you build that muscle of perseverance and creativity to solve the problems because you got to work outside the system. You learn how to work the system in a positive way and that applies for the rest of your life. Mm. That's great. And I feel like for you, when we've talked about our experiences, we're realizing that we had similar things happening, but in Egypt, you never had anyone tell you really what was going on yeah, and, exactly. and your teachers were like going crazy, not understanding. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a city outside of the capital. It's not, not, not a big city at all. And you know, I, I hadn't met anyone in my life up until that point who had gone to a therapist or had seen a psychiatrist or any sort of like a specialist outside of school to, you know, to help them with whatever issue they're going through. But one thing that my te all my teachers were very adamant on is that there was something very uh, different mm. with me. And I use the word different now, but the, the time it was something was wrong. Oh. To the point that I became the first student in my school to be like referred to a psychiatrist in Cairo. So I, I still remember on a weekend, my, my dad and my mom took me to, to a psychiatrist to the first session and they're like, oh, he's got to do these tests. And, um, and then the second session we go back and she like sits me down and she like asks me to come closer to the desk and she starts explaining. It's like, listen, like you're a smart kid, but 
you have this thing that is um, that is gonna make learning very hard for you. And she goes on to describe basically like how I am an outlier in, mm-hmm. in the way my brain processes things. Um, and she goes on to explain what ADHD is, but then she finishes that by putting me on meds, which mm-hmm. is very like, the concept of taking medication for something like brain related or behavior related just did not exist in my culture and my family. But my parents just didn't want, like they saw a lot of potential and they didn't want that to be the, the thing that stood between me and, and achieving all of that. So I end up being on these meds for about a, two weeks. Mm. And I remember feeling that it, the meds were too expensive wow. for, for my family to, to be able to like afford on, on, on how regular they wanted me to take it. And how old were you when they prescribed that to that, you? I am 11 years old. Um, from what I remember in that part of my life, I just, the guilt of how expensive it was and me feeling like I could do more to just like be less lazy try, or yeah. try Oof. harder. And, you know, I did that and it didn't really work, but I had, as you said, like you start to develop skills in other parts of your life. And I, and I was developing these skills. And then I end up getting an opportunity to leave Egypt to go study in a very rigorous academic system in South Africa in a language that I hadn't studied in before in English. Same, you know, this is, this is when, this is how we became friends because there were all these perils in our mm-hmm. stories. So um, both of you left, you left at 13 yeah, and you I left, left at 15. 15 yeah. yeah. Wow. And we were born like oh, 300 miles apart. 300 miles apart. Wow. Two days apart. Two days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Same year? Same year. Same year. Yeah, yeah we're, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You guys were meant to, to yeah. meet at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah. Big time. But, you know, I ended up going, moving to South Africa and there I faced, I faced the same problems, except it was so amplified by all the other challenges that came with studying in a new language, uh, being in a very rigorous educational system, being away from home. And that's when I started to make these decisions for myself. Like, am I going to take my school's uh, counselor's recommendation to go see a psychiatrist that Mm. then recommended that I go again on medication? Will I actually do that? Or should I just like really stick it through and try harder? And that was the, I think that was a big part of my torment throughout my life is that I always thought that I could try harder rather Mm -hmm. than it being like I was just fine where I was. And that was a, a big part of the reason that I decided to just double down on yes theory and and drop out of school i guess that's like uh you know there's two different uh, approaches in a way and i guess i I don't know if there's one that's better than the other you know it's either you push through Mm. but push through you can't keep trying the same thing so it's like how do you you know do you pivot or do you just decide that you know Mm. academia is not for you because your approach was like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna dominate this and you were like you tried but you decided that I'm gonna dominate you know, you're, something. You're gonna <laughs> dominate something else. No, so you guys took different different paths. paths I actually think it's more of. apparent in, in the difference between us because you took the approach of of building the systems that allowed you to contain mm. the the thing that you were going through. But but for me, I went outside, so I feel like the skills that we both end up with as adults are are very much a reflection of mm. our ways of dealing with. And I think I think having had. Uh, someone also tell me that it is possible in a way or, or help me mm. you know i think like my mom's her the way you see it in say it in swedish is studio technique which is like study technique mm. and she just taught me to do mind maps for memorization she was just trying to do different ways you know gamifying the learning etc and i think that helped like trying to approach it creatively and mm-hmm. having somebody tell me that there is a way to do it and then over time i ended up developing my own 
kind of ways of looking at it, but she was always trying to brainstorm like how, how, how is she going to help me learn differently, you know? And I think that's probably one of the hardest things is like there isn't really that much structure or systems to help people that are struggling in this way. And largely you end up feeling kind of alone. I'm curious what your opinion is about, about this. So let's talk about systems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very good at systems. Um, so right, I'm 13. I moved to the United States. I'm like the stupidest person in the class because I don't even know how to speak the language. That's like Thomas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everybody was reading Harry Potter. I really wanted to read Harry Potter and I would fall asleep all the time. So my dad started to read Harry Potter to me and I absolutely loved it. And he would record himself on a cassette tape and I'd walk around the house listening to this cassette tape over and over when he was at work. And then when we moved to the US, we found an audiobook set of Harry Potter in English and I listened to that 22 times in a row. That opened my world up. And so after Harry Potter, I started listening to a bunch of other books. And I can listen really fast today. I listen at 800 words per minute, 4X speed. Um, 4X? I was listening to you listening. I couldn't even understand anything. It just yeah. sounded like, you, you know when you, when you rewind uh, <laughs> any audio and it like goes like, that's what it sounded like to me. Good. It's so ridiculous. Um, and so what happened was I was listening to Harry Potter at like 0.5X speed and then 0.75 and then 1X and then 1.25. And over time, I got really good at listening fast. And so in high school, there were not audiobooks for most of the stuff that I needed to listen to. I realized that also most of my books for college didn't have an audiobook. So I built this tool for my computer that would scan any text, I'd click a keyboard shortcut, and it would read it with a computer voice. And then I set it to be able to read really fast, and I built an automatic speed ramping system that with time increased the speed without me touching it, so I got really fast. And then it could scan physical books. We need to break down this, because he's, he's, he's talking very quick. This thing that he's talking about is what he's currently working on, which is a massive company that is offering a very significant solution for people with learning disabilities all over the world. But I want to, I want to go back and like dive deep sure. into, into that because you've, it's the tool that you're offering to the world right now is it's, it's the story of like invention out of a need because you literally totally. built it for yourself. Totally. So like, I want to know more about the circumstances around this time. How old are you? How long yeah, yeah. have you been in college? Yeah. So the first version of Speechify, essentially we had this summer reading book called Sons of Providence. I spent the entire summer trying to read this book. I finished like half. And I'm about to go to this fancy Ivy League school. I'm 18 years old. I'm not about to come and not having read the summer reading book. So I beg my mom to read it to me. And she does. But she has to work. She doesn't have all this time. So now it's the night before school. I still have a quarter of this book left. I'm freaking out. My brother Tyler helps me hook it up to my computer. And then we have it read it and record it into my iPhone. And then I listen to that on the plane. And it works. And I'm like, wow, I just read the book. And I walk into that first session confident as hell. And I was like, well, this thing worked. So then we had a bunch of PDFs we were assigned for engineering classes. And so I just built a thing that would use optical character recognition to scan those PDFs, extract the text, and then read it to me. Um, and so when I was in school, I built a lot of things. And I learned how to build stuff with computer science. Um, and when I graduated, my thesis was I want to be the person that I needed most when I was young. And the thing I really needed was someone to read my books to me. Um, and I knew I didn't want a job. So I got two of my professors to sponsor me to stay at Brown for another year. So I had an ID, I was on meal plan, I could kind of visit classes, did not pay tuition or have homework, and I was just working on my own things. And the two criteria I had was one, I wanted to work on something that you could not have built a year ago with the technology that currently existed, and two, it should bank on some sort of shift in cultural behavior. Mm. And so the shift was people were listening more. Seven years ago, podcasts, 
No one was listening to podcasts. No one was listening to audiobooks. But now everybody listens all the time. It's becoming a primary form of information intake. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a subcategory of artificial intelligence called deep learning. And I was reading a lot of research on that. And I implemented that into Speechify. So now it sounds like a real human. And it can teach you how to listen fast, parses the entire internet, and figures out how to read every website, how to read your emails, your Google Docs, physical things. And so it solves the problem. Like it's the thing that I really needed when I was 10 years old. Yeah, and, and it, is, it is truly a brilliant tool. Yeah, we think about it as giving people reading superpowers. We will be right back with Amar and Cliff right after a quick break. Throughout my adult life, I've struggled with anxiety. And for a while, my mental health was majorly impacted by this. It wasn't until I started to take small steps every day and making daily meditation a part of my mental diet that I started to feel better. It was made amazingly easy and convenient for me using Headspace. Headspace is an easy-to-use app that offers you your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations. Backed by clinically proven research, Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've now meditated every single day for a thousand days straight using Headspace, and I can safely say that has changed my life. Meant to work around your schedule, Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash yes theory. That's headspace.com slash yes theory for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so go to headspace.com slash yestheory. And now, back to the episode. What do you think in terms of infrastructure for learning disabilities? I mean, this is an amazing step forward, but like whose responsibility is it? You know, is it parents? Is it the school system? Like how, how do we help people that are, that are struggling? So, okay, a couple of thoughts. Number one, it's the labels that we use. So the word smart is a stupid word. Everybody's smart, yeah. right? You're smart, you're smart, you're smart. It's how you learn. Hmm. And people often tell me that I'm smart. Like, oh, I'm not as smart as you. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm just... I know how to use the stuff that's in my brain. And so the way that I think about it is my brain is composed of 2,000 books that I've listened to. And then I write a lot and I think a lot and I philosophize a lot and I organize that information in my brain. That's what I value is like that intellectualness. But it's not like the computational ability of my brain. And that can change. You, depend, you find the areas that are your strengths. Your systems, yeah. It's your systems. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah. Um, and your desire to learn. So really the key is going from a static mindset to a growth mindset. Because they look at like, kids who do tests and kids with growth mindset, they'll do badly on the test and then they'll come and they'll try harder on the next test. They'll want the challenge. And kids who don't have a growth mindset, they just think because they got a 70% on the test that they're stupid and they never want to take a hard test yeah. again. And then the other thing is, right, a CEO of Speechify and as someone with dyslexia, I feel I have three responsibilities. The first one is to build really good technology. And that technology is democratized. It's free. You can download it anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It works in all languages. Um, number two is evangelizing the fact that actually learning by intaking via audio is a completely legitimate way of learning. You know, we run Instagram ads. We're one of the biggest advertisers on Instagram at this point. And half the comments 
are especially older people saying who are really triggered this is so lazy millennials are ruining the world like people get really triggered over this which shows you that you're doing something right um but evangelizing the idea that you can learn via listening and that you can coach yourself to listen faster and the last one is telling these types of stories so people realize that charles schwab and richard branson um, and the governor of California and George Washington and Da Vinci and all these people were dyslexic or have ADD. And so there is like this beacon of like, oh, they did it. I can do it too. The important part is to build that kind of framework in your brain of who you want to be and the systems that you want to create in order to facilitate the best learning for you. You're someone who speaks to a lot of crowds of people who are challenged by learning disabilities. What's the most common question that you get? How do you build the confidence? Hmm. By far the most common question hmm. is how do you get that? You know, I owe so much to the fact that I'm willing to talk to teachers to get special exceptions. Every day I'd get a special 100%. exception. That's why I actually, when, so you, important. when you were saying you're a naturally gifted person with the confidence, but I actually think I would argue that the majority of it came because of the progression of you having to ask for all totally. these things as a kid. 100%. Um, Being proactive. Yeah, like that proactivity is definitely what, what put that in you. Yeah, you just got to push yourself to start. Yeah. Seek discomfort. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. I think it's having the confidence to just try, right? Start asking people for help. So important. You know, like if at first I was like back of the classroom type of person and then I forced myself, I'm going to sit in the front row every time because then I can't, I have, I, you know, I'm, I'm on the, I can't be messing around, talking with friends, drawing, doing whatever I used to do. Absolutely. It's but, like lifting weights. Yeah, right? exactly. You, you do the first little one and yeah. then you get good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's and this is really where you know the, that reframing of instead of it being like oh the thing that you struggle with. Even I stopped saying like oh I struggle with ADHD or I struggle with depression. I say I'm challenged by, because mm. uh, you know in my mind I'm like no it's I'm not this yeah it doesn't have power over me. It's actually it's a challenge that I've, that I'm constantly learning from. You said something really powerful earlier about vulnerability. Mm. Vulnerability is a superpower. And the fastest way to build a close relationship with someone is either bonding over vulnerability or bonding over ambition. And so if I'm making friends, I look to show both those sides as quickly as I can. People will go miles for you if A, you show them where you need help when you're vulnerable with them, and B, you still show that you're proactive and try and fix it. Which actually makes a lot of sense because I feel a lot of kids that ends up being like the troublemakers. It's just a state of rebellion against this thing in them that they don't understand. Yeah, and they're not willing to share it. Yeah, and their like way of closing off is it resulting in all these behavioral patterns that end up pulling them towards trouble. I, I feel I, just one concluding point about all of this feels like one of the basic but key components is to also just not give up. Yes. Right. It's like no matter how how many failures, as we mentioned early on, how many bad grades or how stupid you feel around other people not giving up, you know, the moment that you decide that this is impossible, I can't do it is the moment it's over. Yeah. And it's okay to not be good. Like if you you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Right. So for me, my brother Tyler is like crushing it on computer science and I try to do it. And I misspelled this here, misspelled this here. The problem doesn't run, it dies. Miss a comma and you're fucked. <laughs> exactly. And I'm so bad at that. You just got to figure out the way that you learn. Mm. How do you feel about doubling down on the things that you're noticing you're really good at versus trying to, like, how long do you, should you push yourself to learn something that computer science, for example, you might recognize, okay, you're not going to be the best coder in the world, but you want to learn how to code. You want to understand it. Like, how do you 
you know, balance that yeah. line of like, I'm going to learn this, but I don't need to be a specialist in this. You know, I can find people around me that are better at me than this. You got to strike a balance. Whoever you are, figure out what your strengths are and double down on your strengths. And sometimes it's a combination of things that you're able to do. Maybe you're both athletic and artistic. Maybe you're both good at computer science and you're good at design. It doesn't matter what it is. Figure it out and put that together. Actually, your, your question made me think about my attitude towards the things that I that I'm not good at. And I think because my all my conditioning is towards like doubling down on the things that I'm good at and completely like letting go of of anything that can bring me stress or a burden. I think I'm I'm now on the extreme of yes. I wouldn't even try if I mm. feel like I'm not good at something. Mm. Yes. Uh, because in my mind I'm like I, I cancel it out. Yeah, I think you would benefit from brute forcing a little bit more Absolutely. than you're weak on. Absolutely. But most people do the opposite of you. you. You're like a much better outcome than most people's mm -hmm, approach. Mm -hmm. um, lastly, the really important thing is friends. Is what? Friends. friends. Find the people yep. who complete you. Yep. Find the Thomas to your Amar. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think and what then, you just said is so important. Mm. Even when you are starting to learn or trying to figure out how to learn, who you're surrounded with is such a large impact on that. And I think a side effect that happened when I moved to the front row of the classroom is I moved up towards the smartest kids in the class and they ended up becoming my friends. And then my friends were all, you know, ambitious growth mindset type of people in the end versus when I was in the back of the class, it was the people that didn't care that either had given up or just whatever, had their own set of challenges, right? So the people you're surrounded with is so important and it's not impossible to befriend the person that is killing it, not from a superficial perspective of wanting something from them. For me, it just happened because I was sitting in the front row and I realized, oh, these people are really cool. This and is so interesting because I did the exact same thing. I mm -hmm. sat in the front row every class I've ever been in. Mm -hmm. Partly it's to make up for the fact that I knew I needed to. Totally. It shows yeah. mm -hmm. when, like teachers notice it when you're- When you're seeking, it shows. seeking. Also plucks you out of your environment. Oh, you know, so that's good. the big one of the main side effects of seeking discomfort is you get to then come back to your life and have an objective point of view of how how things are going and what you want to change. Everyone is is born with genetics that have some set of predispositions, but it doesn't yes. mean that anything can't be learned. Yeah, and I think and you got to learn yourself. Yeah, like figure yourself out. Yeah, and accept that whatever disability you're told you have figure out a way to to leverage it into uh exactly. into a superpower because yeah, whatever exactly. it is it already is there are endless living proofs yeah. yeah that uh, you know this is not something that uh, has to hold you back and this applies to not even just learning disabilities to any kind of predisposition or situation that you're in that is a disadvantage at this point in time and i think this is a, a great conversation as a as a first step in our ecosystem for those who do feel different growing up that if anything you're different in a positive way yes and and it's and a, you're welcomed it's and accepted a and you're smart yeah just go 15 feet forward yep. and seek when discussing learning disabilities it's tough to come to terms with the fact that there are positives in dealing with the struggles take it from us even through this conversation, we are still struggling to accept this aspect of our life. Looking at it from different angles to come to the realization that without having sparred with our learning disabilities, we would not be the people we are today. We hope that through this conversation, you've been able to begin thinking about how any disability or disadvantage can help us become better and stronger individuals. And just remember, sometimes the best way to beat the problem that you are facing 
is to embrace it with courage. Take those few steps forward without losing hope, and eventually you'll find yourself in a much better place. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. I'm your host for this episode, Thomas Bragg. But I would not be here without my friends Amar and Cliff Weitzman. This episode was produced by Luke Himmelsbach and was edited and sound designed by Travis Lofman. The S3 podcast is produced by Luke Himmelsbach for Expedition Audio. From Headspace Studios, this show is produced by Danny Karasimi. Additional production help from Demira Pierre. The executive producers are Leah Sutherland, Morgan Selzer, and Sam Rogaway. <laughs>